covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us as uh, we are officially into the baseball offseason. The World Series has come to an end. We don't know how long it'll be an active offseason because if the collective bargaining agreement is allowed to expire there in the first week of December, at that point, uh, the entire offseason will kind of stop. But you know what? I think we're going to have a lot of talk about the collective bargaining agreement. It's probably going to be the overwhelming topic on this podcast for many weeks, I would suspect. Uh, We talked about it a fair amount last week. I thought it was interesting. Uh, We had Jerry Augustine on the podcast last week, and he served as a player rep uh, during a work stoppage. So if you just need to, need to, need to hear something about the collective bargaining agreement and you did not listen to the podcast last week, you can go back and uh, listen. But we are going to stay kind of CBA-free here on this week's show. So a one-week reprieve for the most part. We'll try to not let it snake in too terribly often uh, during the course of this uh, entire podcast. Uh, As always, housekeeping items, top of the show. If you want to get in contact with me, find me on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And uh, if you listen to the podcast uh, and you want to find a way to more easily listen to it, you can do so by uh, subscribing on Apple Podcast and ranking and reviewing, and that goes a long way towards people finding the podcast. So those are uh, those are good things that I appreciate you uh, doing, but I appreciate you just being tuned in, whether you tune in every week, every once in a while, this is your first time listening in, whatever it might be. Thanks for being tuned in. We certainly do uh, appreciate it. We come your way every single week here uh, on the podcast. I'm very happy to be able to continue the conversation. This week, just a couple notes. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. is exercising a player option to return to the Brewers for 2022. A couple notes on this. Um, Note number one, I have a hard time believing he would repeat the season that he just had. He has too good of a major league track record. Now, I'm not going to tell you he's been uh, you know, an amazing offensive player throughout his career, but he was really bad this year, really bad. And I just have a hard time believing that that could happen two years in a row. Players have bad years for whatever reason. It happens. And more often than not, if they've got the track record, they're able to bounce back, and that's what you've got to absolutely be hoping for when it comes to uh, JBJ, that uh, he comes back this upcoming season and kind of is back to the guy that we thought he was going to be when the Brewers originally signed him. Avisael Garcia, he opts out of his contract, so for now he is not a Brewer. The Brewers also elect not to give him the qualifying offer, so he is going to go into free agency. Not that there's not a possibility that he could return to the club, but uh, at the same time, there might be bigger possibilities for bigger money for him on some type of long-term deal. Again, the the uncertainty of the offseason and not really knowing when teams are going to become aggressive uh, and not knowing if there is. I'm, again, I'm going to try to limit CBA talk as much as possible here, but it's, it is the, the dark cloud hanging over everything. If you're a club, how much are you really going to do before the next CBA is signed, not really knowing what the financial framework of Major League Baseball is going to look like? So uh, I'm not saying there are no deals before that, uh, that early December date, but I would say the deals are very, very, very limited. Uh, 
Speaking of JBJ, he was one of two Gold Glove finalists for the Brewers, but neither pick up a win, so no Gold Gloves coming to the Brewers this year. Colton Wong uh, was a finalist. Tommy Edmond of the Cardinals ended up winning it, so the guy who replaced Wong uh, in St. Louis. I don't like the... Edmond's a fine defensive second baseman. Colton Wong's a better defensive second baseman, without a doubt in my head. Uh, And in center field, speaking of the Cardinals, Harrison Bader wins it as he beats out uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. In fact, the Cardinals end up winning five gold gloves, which is... uh, which is something, and they they were a very very good defensive club. I know uh, it's fun to uh, raz the Cardinals for many things that they can do, but I, you give credit where credit is due, and uh, absolutely they were a uh, they were a pretty good defensive club this year. Defense and uh, base running they were uh, they were pretty solid on. Uh, Brewers did make a small move this past week. Uh, they agreed to a one year major league split contract with right handed reliever Trevor Gott. Gott was not in the big leagues in 2021. He was on the Giants big league roster in April for just a moment, uh, then ended up at the uh, alternate training site and then at AAA uh, Sacramento for uh, for most of the season. So he's somebody who will uh, come in. Uh, was originally a six-round draft pick of the Padres in 2013, 146 major league appearances, 5.01 ERA throughout the course of his career. In 2015 with the Angels, had a 3.02. Two ERA, so uh, a small move that the Brewers uh, make to bring in a uh, Trevor Gott, and uh, there there may be other small moves like that that are made here over the next few weeks. All right, uh, that is kind of the uh, the news of the week when it comes to the Brewers. Now let's get to our featured conversation. Very happy to welcome this guy back on to the podcast. He just finished his uh, first year working as a studio analyst for Bally Sports Wisconsin. Uh, he is also part of the Locked on Brewers podcast. He is a former brewer. His name is Vinny Rotino. You follow him on Twitter at V-I-N-N-Y-R-O-T-T-I-N-O. Vinny, thanks for coming back uh, onto the podcast. How are you? Matt, thanks for having me on. I'm great. I'm doing great. When um when the season ends and, and you had a very you've had um you were a player you you spent some time in the big leagues you had a, a lot of minor league time you then went into scouting then you went into broadcasting so you have seen baseball from so many different places and I probably didn't even include everything you've done uh, inside of the game um this was your first year as a broadcaster did the feeling of when the season comes to an end, because I think it's probably a little bit different in everything that you do. What was that feeling like for you when, when you were done for the season and maybe compare it to how it felt when you were done as a player each year? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was interesting this year, right? I mean, I never, it didn't feel the same as when the season was done as a player, right? When the season was done as a player, you kind of like took a big, like exhale and thought, you know, what an accomplishment. Uh, I just finished a, a professional baseball season. I hit 300 or whatever it was. And, you know, I got called up to the big leagues, whatever, you know, you just kind of look back on the season and you just kind of like, take, you know, you exhale and you realize kind of look back on what you did. But with the broadcasting thing, it's completely different. First of all, um, from playing, there's some similarities. I will be honest. The performance aspect of it, the adrenaline rush of it, um, which was all fun and, and just kind of reminded me of playing. That's why I love doing this this role so much. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, um, there's no real exhale, right? I mean, because I'm still doing radio stuff. I'm still doing some podcasting. I'm still trying to perfect my, you know, perfect. Oh, my goodness, I have a long way to go, right? But I feel like I'm still growing on this side and in this role as a, as a broadcaster. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's different from, from the standpoint of, you know, you can kind of exhale and just be done. Although you're not on, I mean, I'm not on TV, which, again, there is a level of adrenaline there that is kind of unmatched in the game of all the roles that I've done in the game. So um, there's not that aspect. But, again, there's still opportunities to, you know, go on podcasts and, you know, go on some radio shows every once in a while. So there's no, it's not really done, right? But um, it was it was a blast just to kind of sum up the answer to that question. I mean, I absolutely had a blast. This was honestly the most fun I've had in the game, probably because I wasn't that good of a player. But at the end of the day, this is the most fun I've had in the game, and it was just a blast. I loved it. Uh, one of the things that I appreciated with what you did was I felt like I would learn some things about the game, and I felt like like there's a there is a very standard way to look at the game of baseball where a lot of people kind of have the same thoughts, and a lot of times that's right, but sometimes it's not right. And I always kind of felt like you did a nice job of t- putting a unique perspective on something that was going on. I think it was more often than not kind of connected to your experience uh, as a scout because you were you were scouts see the game differently. You uh, not just as a player, but as someone who knows how to scout the game, you will always see the game differently than somebody like me who would never be able to to scout a player um is that was that part of your goal going in to to maybe bring something a little bit different and unique to 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 the way you saw the game and try to bring that analysis to your television role well now that's good insight because honestly i um kind of prided myself on doing that and kind of bringing that unique perspective to the game in terms of like you know, whether it's analytics or whether it's traditional scouting, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't always look at the game that way. I looked at the game when I was playing through the lens of a player. And I even looked at the game through the lens of a player even when I was scouting my first year or so. And then I learned how to scout, essentially, right? I mean, as many games as I saw, as many games I played, as much as I've been around the game, in the clubhouse, around players, around really good players as well, Prince Fielder's. Ryan Bronze and the like, I still needed to learn to evaluate and how to evaluate and the way to look at the game in many different facets and kind of kind of be open-minded and think outside the box and a lot of different things and question a lot of different things about what you know, about what you don't know. And so it was, as a scout, I, I grew a ton in terms of that aspect of things, like evaluation and just really decision-making and thinking about things differently. And so coming over to the broadcast side, I kind of just naturally transitioned into doing the same thing. Um, And I think maybe at first I was a little bit not understanding how to really communicate that well. And I'm still, that's still a learning process, but learning how to communicate some of these outside the box ideas, in a, in a concise way, in a way that fans can digest, but also pique their interest and maybe not totally understand, right? I think that's what, like, Tony Romo is so good. That's why I love listening to Tony Romo when he does football. Like, I have no idea what he's talking about half the time, but I'm intrigued and interested. And um, I do think that I, you know, 
I like bringing that aspect to it. And maybe fans don't understand completely what I'm talking about all the time, but I try and think of something interesting to bring up, try and do little breakdowns and stuff like that for fans to kind of digest and, and have them, you know, have it be thought-provoking um, in terms of the game and th- ways to think about the game. And that's, yeah, I, I definitely had that idea in mind um, in terms of coming into this and in, in how I was going to present things. So, um, yeah, that's, that's interesting that you caught, you kind of catch that and, um, and caught that about the way I was trying to accomplish, you know, the broadcasting side of things. But it was, um, it's still a learning curve, right? I still have to get better at, at certain things and just, um, I've taken a lot of notes, so to speak, mental notes, and, and, you know, writing things down as well from guys like you and B.A. and, and Lane and Jeff and Craig Kishon and Dario and Tim Dillard. And like, it's just like playing. You learn from everybody, and that's kind of what I pride myself on to try to get better at. I'm really interested in what you're going to say here because the the way the season is, everybody wants to find reasons to uh, – to like blame how to blame the season ending when it did, and to me, it's it's the offense. Like the the offense went quiet. They didn't score enough runs in the Brave series, and everything else that you want to bl- blame, you're getting into the weeds. As far as I'm concerned, the pitching decisions, everything else, to me, it was all about an underperforming offense in the postseason. So, if you agree with that, I guess I'll ask this question: um, What? Was that just part of the ebb and flow of a baseball season where the best teams go cold and the worst teams go hot at the plate and the Brewers happen to go cold at the at the worst moment? Or is there more of a, a systemic issue, a bigger issue that goes along with the Brewers' offensive struggles against the Braves? Well, I mean, these, these series are coin flips, right? All, all of them were coin flips. I mean, the Brewers lost the World Series champions, Atlanta Braves. I mean, the Atlanta Braves almost won the World Series last year, almost beat the Dodgers to get to the World Series. And I think they would have had a really good shot at winning it. They were a very, very good ball club. Um, and what a job Alex Anthopoulos did to kind of piece things together after Ronald Acuna and Marcelo Zuna were out for the entire season and put together just a formidable, formidable uh, lineup up and down. Um, and then the pitching staff was just good enough to get them through the playoffs and win the world series. So as far as the offense is that's why they lost, right? That's why the Brewers lost because the Braves are really good. That's that. That's what it was at the end of the day. Now did their bats go cold? I mean, they're facing Charlie Morton, Max Freed, and a really good Ian Anderson, and then a Tyler Matzik, who is absolutely filthy, right? I mean, I saw it in the, in the Brewers series. Like, this guy's the best arm out of the pen. Will Smith's terrible. Let this guy close. And Will Smith got really hot. And then you had A.J. Minter, whose stuff was absolutely nasty, a guy that kind of figured it out in AAA. They had enough arms to win the World Series, enough nasty arms to, to make bats go quiet. I mean, the best hitting team in the in the major leagues were the Houston Astros. Or if, if they weren't the best, they were a top two. And they got shut out, what is it, twice in the World Series by the Braves. And so this is a very good Braves team. And, yes, the bats did go cold a little bit for the Brewers. But, I mean... Game four, they, they put together some rallies, and they scored some runs. Um, they won game one on, the, on Rowdy Telez's bat. Um, Max Free just 
was disgusting in game two. Um, and then Ian Anderson was really, really good in game three. I mean, I don't know. I, I Yes, I, it's very, very difficult to pinpoint one thing and kind of blame it on one thing. Yes, the bats went cold. Yes, the Brewers' offense wasn't the best in the league, obviously. They were they scored the 12th most runs in the league after starting the season out, like, 28. Mm-hmm. They were, like, 28th in runs scored per game after, like, after mid-May, it was like three-quarters of the way through May, and they were like 28th in league and run scored, and then they kind of figured it out. And they became a baton-passing team where the, every guy would just, just do his job and pass the baton to the next guy. And they did this all without Christian Yelich, right? I mean, Christian Yelich was not good. And that's the bigger problem, I think, looking at the offense going forward. What do we have? What is the... I mean, Cody Bellinger was the same thing, right? Or, or, or worse than Christian Yelich this year. I mean, I, let, let's hope Christian Yelich bounces back. I mean, <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I don't know if what it is in terms of the offense, and, and I, I don't think it was as bad as people thought it was. I think they were bad at the worst time to make people think they were that bad. That yeah, makes sense. So, yeah, no, you're right because um, they had the slow start to the season yeah. as you alluded to and then June, July, August they were one of the best hitting teams in baseball but then it fell off again in yeah. September so when you're bad at the start and bad at the end, people f- forget what happened for those middle three months. That's a great point. That is a great, great point. Yeah, so I mean it just kind of got magnified and it's tough to really look at that series against the Braves and say that's the culmination of what the Brewers offense was all year. It, 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 it doesn't do it justice, right? I think I, the way they pieced it together without a Christian Yelich, um, without any production from Jackie Bradley Jr., who got 400 at bat, and they still pieced it together and figured it out, and they, you know, they phenomenal job by, uh, you know, um, Matt Arnold and David Stern to, to acquire obviously um, Rowdy Telez and uh, and Willie Adamas and Rowdy Telez is kind of a more underrated acquire right there. I mean, this guy was a presence in their lineup and really gave him a shot in the arm in their offense when they acquired this guy. Not only acquired him, but then let him play every day, right? So um, obviously Willie Adamas goes without saying. I mean, he's the MVP of that offense in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're going to be fine. It would be a big bonus if if Christian Yelich <laughs> was back to being Christian Yelich. I mean, then they're going to win a chance to win the World Series if, if he is that next year and the year after with the window that they have with their pitching staff. All right, so put on your scouting hat for a second. Do you see what's leading to Christian Yelich's decline, and is it something that you think is fixable? My goodness, I've been asked this question so many times, and I give the same answer because I don't know. And so many people just don't know. And, in fact, David Stearns actually said the same exact thing. No one knows. We don't know. Why did he Why did he regress so much? And, you know, he showed flashes of being a guy that can barrel up the baseball at a really high rate, but he didn't show flashes of having that really kind of loose, easy, rhythmic, you know, snap off, you know, get one pitch to hit a game and hit it out like we saw. He didn't show that kind of confidence, that kind of rhythm and timing at the plate. It seemed like he was always kind of fighting himself and trying to figure something out at the plate this year, you know, last year, um, and even in 2020. So 
I don't know. I mean, the optimist in me, and I am an optimist, especially when it comes to the game of baseball, it, it says that, you know, hey, this guy has been so good and has done stuff that very few people on this planet are able to do, which is what he did, second half of 18 and then all of 19. He did stuff in those two year and a half that not a lot of people can do. So with that said, you would think that that doesn't go away, right? He still has that in him in there somewhere, and he just kind of just lost it for two years or a year in a shortened season. Um, And let's just hope and pray that that is the case because obviously the Brewers have them for the next nine years. So that's all I'll say about it because I really don't know any any other way to answer that question, Matt. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that because if if anybody did, I think they would probably be – employed by the brew and that's you know that's part of the next hitting coach's job like we've talked a lot about Andy Haynes I know we both think that Andy Haynes is a very good hitting coach and and you respect him but at the same time when your season ends in a disappointing fashion one of the ways to respond to it is by getting some new voices into that clubhouse in a leadership role and unfortunately for for Andy and his family uh, that results in him not having a job but now the question is who can be brought in that can have some success in helping to unlock Christian Yelich. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. I think the next guy is going to have to answer that question in some sort of creative way to open the minds of whoever's doing the hiring process that to convince the Brewers that he can do that. And he has a solution to what happened with Christian Yelich and even Kevin Hira next year. Um, I agree. I mean, I, I, I think Andy Haynes did a phenomenal job. I know a lot of the players believe that he really did help them. Uh, I mean, you look at Luis Arias from 2020 to 2021. You look at a number of different players, Jace Peterson. You look at Abby Garcia's great year. Omar Narvaez come back. I mean, he did a great job with a lot of players. Um, but, yes, I, I mean, at the end of the day, look at I mean, that is what stands out, I'm sure, in the front office's minds is the idea that, might need another voice in here to kind of unlock or re-unlock Christian Yelich, and, and that's probably what they were thinking. That's, and Again, that's pure speculation. That's pure guess, but that's probably what they were thinking. They've got an opening now in right field. Avi Garcia opts out. He earned that by uh, by hitting some qualifiers during the season. Uh, they decide not to offer him the qualifying offer. I don't know about you, and this is no disrespect towards Avi Garcia. He had a really, really nice season. But if you want to, I still think this team is, in addition to Yelich being unlocked, I also think they're like a legitimate all-star bat away from really being that scary type team. And, and the thing the thing you want to add to this team when, when you've got the pitching that you have just to kind of respect the championship window I look at right field as being a really great opportunity for this team to maybe upgrade in a big way. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, yeah. How do they do that, though? They, I agree with that 100%, Matt. How they have done that in the past is, they, is they've gone internal, and they've tried to unlock someone internally to, to, to kind of step up and produce. I don't know if I see them signing anybody for $50 million, right? I mean, the guys that they've done that in the past, like a Jackie Bradley Jr. or a Lorenzo Kane, have played in the middle of a diamond, right? So they can, the bat's not there, they can produce in the middle of a diamond defensively. And so it is 
an interesting idea to maybe see if you know what they would pay like an Adam Duval, right? Or what they would um, what they would offer having Avisel Garcia on the open market. I, I don't know. Um, I I would transition personally. I would transition away from. I think that's a good move of transitioning away from Avi Garcia. I think he was missing some little intangible stuff in terms of like, you know, base running and defense. We saw him kind of have some mental lapses out there in right field a couple of times. As good as he did play defensively at times in right field as well, we saw him drop a ball against the, that against the, the Giants, right? The San Francisco yeah. Giants on right field end the game. We saw him do a couple other kind of mental lapse type of things out there. So you're going to try and look for, and the Brewers kind of always do look for that complete player that can not only add that punch to the offense, but kind of bring something, some intangibles to the clubhouse or in, in, on the bases and in, in, on defense. So I do like that approach. I, I don't see them kind of straying from that approach in looking for a right fielder. Um, and at the end of the day, they might just give the job to Tyrone Taylor and kind of piece things together if that doesn't work out as the season goes. They're phenomenal at, they've been phenomenal at in-season acquisitions of players. Um, so they might, they might do that approach as well. So a lot of different options for them out there, right? Yeah, I don't have expectations of them going and signing a, a Chris Bryant or a Nick Castellanos, but I do, look, there's some assets there. And I know the old adage in baseball is you can never have too much pitching, and it would, it would scare you to trade away some of your pitching. But my goodness, they have so much. Like, I don't know what the future is going to be for, say, an Adrian Hauser when, you, when you've got the group that you've already got in there and you've got other guys like Ashby and Small who are going to be in the rotation as well soon, and they're probably going to have a, a Brett Anderson-type veteran that's in that rotation as well all of a sudden you got to think there's going to be some general managers out there that absolutely covet that sinking fastball of adrian hauser and maybe you can you can spin him off for a really impactful bat sometimes sometimes players are more valuable to you playing for another team than they are playing for your team and i, I just feel like maybe there's some guys that fit that category it's a good point, and again, like like we just talked about, they they've had they've have they have a track record of finding a little bit of a diamond in the rough for a guy that needs a change of scenery in terms of a a bat, and they have the offensive profile, and they've shown it, let's say, in the minor leagues, and they maybe shown it in flashes at the major league level, like a Rowdy Telez, that they believe in that they could maybe acquire a guy like that. For like you said, an Adrian Hauser. I personally love Adrian Hauser, so that's a, a name that I a little scary for me wanting to part with because he just continues to get better. Um, but I'm nothing is off the table for this group, and they've proven that, and that's what is exciting kind of about this off season. I mean, they do some things that no one even is talking about or thinking about right now, uh, and they've shown to do that. They have a history of that. So we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I'm sure they're going to address the offense. But I, you know, at the end of the day, the offense was pretty good. So I mean, their pitching is so darn good. To me, I would be interested in, in seeing if they're going to try and. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in extension talks for Corbin Burns because I think this guy's going to be an elite pitcher for a long, long time. Um, and so I, yeah, that, that's. That it's going to be interesting. All the different moves that are made this off season. I wonder if that's going to be one of them. 
The uh, They had two Gold Glove finalists in Colton Wong and Jackie Bradley Jr. Neither win. Harrison Bader wins center field. Tommy Edmond wins second. So the guy who replaces Wong in St. Louis. In fact, the Cardinals get five gold gloves. Goldschmidt, Arenado, O'Neal, in addition to Arenado or to uh, to uh, Bader and um, and Edmond. So that's uh, that that's I think I saw that's the first time maybe in big league history that one single team had five gold glove winners. But a bummer for uh, the oh. Brewers not to get either. Yeah, that's impressive. I mean, uh, the Cardinals are going to be the team to beat, and not not the team that the, the team that the Brewers are going to have to beat next year in the Central. Obviously, considering what the Reds look like they're doing, which is yeah. a little strange, um, they're selling. Um, I mean, they just got rid of Wade Miley for you know, just put him on waivers. This guy had like a seven something WAR this last year, which is crazy. He's one of the one of the best players in all the game last year, but um, so. Yes, and then, you know, the Cardinals' defense, their offense, they lack, I think, starting pitching. And so it'll be interesting to see what they do on the open market with starting pitching or maybe some sort of blockbuster deal. I mean, they always have assets in the minor leagues that other teams covet. So it is going to be an interesting uh, look to what the Reds do and what the Brewers do and see who comes out looking better on paper this offseason. Um, but, yeah, Jackie Bradley Jr., as bad as he was, he was historically bad offensively. He was that good on defense that he was a Gold Glove finalist. Usually, it's kind of an offensive award as well. And it was surprising that he was actually up there um, for the Gold Glove. I mean, he has value on this team because the pitching staff is that good, and you kind of need him on your roster to play that good a defense in center field. It's the, it's the first time I've seen him an extended look live like that. He is as good as advertised and then some. I mean, he does some things on the baseball field out in center field that I've never seen before. That beat that he made on Jacob Stalling mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh yeah. of the home run to throw him out and double him off at first. Never seen anything like it. Never even seen anybody work on that play as long as I've been in the game. And he pulled that off and he made it look so easy. He's fun to watch out there. That wasn't surprising as a Gold Glove finalist. And then uh, Wong obviously makes it look so easy. He makes very difficult plays. You hear Craig Council talk about this all the time. He makes very difficult plays look really easy all the time. He's so agile. His feet are so good. His hands are so clean. He's fundamentally sound. I mean, he, he is fun to watch at second base. He he was better than Tommy Edmond. He just was. Yeah. I, I I think that was that was the wrong like the wrong award. No. Yeah, I would agree. 100, 100%. He, he gets two of them yeah. in St. Louis, comes to Milwaukee, and then he doesn't get one. The Cardinal does, but that's just the way <laughs> things are. Yeah. He is uh, Vinny Rotino. Follow him on Twitter at uh, Vinny Rotino. V-I-N-N-Y-R-O-T-T-I-N-O. Uh, in addition to his Brewers coverage on Bally Sports Wisconsin, he's part of the uh, Locked on Brewers podcast as well. Vinny, thanks so much for uh, doing this, and we'll uh, catch up again uh, later on in the offseason. We didn't even get into collective bargaining agreement stuff. Hopefully uh, we don't have to get onto that the next time we talk, but maybe we will. But uh, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on that. Vinny Rotino joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that's just about going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. We'll be back next week. A reminder for you, we also have our Brewers uh, weekly show that airs on Thursdays on WTMJ. To, uh, to be blunt about it, I'm going to be out a lot due to uh, basketball play-by-play uh, responsibilities that I have. 
Uh, I, I don't know. I would suspect. I don't know for sure. I would suspect it's going to be uh, Greg Matzik, who is uh, filling in for me, hosting that show more often uh, than not. But either way, even on weeks that I'm not there, we're still doing Brewers Weekly on Thursday nights from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock on WTMJ, unless the Bucks are playing a Thursday night game. And I will be there absolutely as often as I possibly can. And I will be with you every week for this podcast uh, as we generally uh, break this thing out late Sunday night, early Monday morning is when it uh, generally posts. So thanks to uh, Vinny Rotino for joining me. Thanks to you for being tuned in. And we'll talk to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.